0: You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Bachelor, and this week I am joined by Chris
1: Brendan Sinclair,
2: and Rebecca Valentine.
0: We're going to be discussing the biggest stories of the week, starting, of course, with the cancellation of E3. It will become of no uh, it will come as no surprise that E3 2020 has been cancelled due to concerns around uh, novel coronavirus or COVID 19. It was cancelled on Wednesday, um, two days after we put out a podcast saying that it was still happening. The Entertainment Software Association is hoping to uh, work with publishers and platformers to run an online experience the week that it would have um, occurred. Xbox, Ubisoft, Nintendo, Devolver Digital, Square Enix have all said that they are hosting digital events or exploring other options. I mean, we'll dispense with whether or not this came as a surprise, because as I say, it didn't. I think, um, as as Rob Fahey pointed out in his column this week, even before when the first mutterings of GDC might be cancelled, people were like, what does this mean for E3? I think we can all agree it's the right decision. The question is, will it make a difference or as big a difference as people think?
2: This is a weird year. It's so weird. I, I mean, obviously disease does not pay attention to the video game calendar, um, but the fact that this all happened in the console launch year, I mean, I know we didn't expect Sony at E3 to begin with, so it was going to be a very strange and perhaps kind of defining year for E3 anyway, um, as they sort of figure out what their future entails. Um, so so I, I know it was, it was going to be weird anyway, but- but like with, between E3 being canceled and GDC being canceled and presumably any other small gatherings and events like surrounding that where they would have potentially shown off hardware or shown off you know whatever else, we are going to go through a very interesting experiment right this year as to whether we need these large gatherings, what we lose by not having them, and whether digital can fully or at least mostly pick up the slack. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's going to be really interesting. Yeah.
3: Well, I'd, yeah,
2: uh, it,
3: we'll find out if people really want E three or not as well, right? I mean,
2: what was the thing you said the other day, Chris? Like yesterday in the Slack, you ha- you had like some statement about.
3: <laughs> we'll either find out. It
2: was re- No, it was really good.
3: I don't know which one it's either the one where it had no insight whatsoever. It's we'll find out. If...
2: Right. Yeah. It was that. Well, it was the one that you <laughs> joked had no insight whatsoever, but I thought it was a good. We'll
3: e- we'll either find out right? if, if we if people want E three or don't. It's like, it. it, it, it we'll it, we get it's it's. Because I've been doing, I mean, I think because I feel like I've been doing pieces about whether E3 is relevant for like 12 years. It gets asked every single year. Um, uh, It's always the biggest show on the planet, even when half the people don't turn up. Um, It does seem to be especially hated right now. Um, I look at Twitter and everyone in the business seems to want it to die. Uh, but Twitter isn't the games industry, like it's mostly journalists and indie devs. And journalists hate E3 for obvious reasons because of what happened last year. Um, and indie devs, well, E3's never really been for them anyway, so it's a little bit like so. We know they don't really care, um, and I can understand why, but what about the wider community? Um, uh, I mean, as you suggested, Rebecca, it, I mean, it, people will discover that they might not need E3, um, it can all be done digitally, um, and if that's the case, I worry about what that means for the games media, because that's what sort of, that's the thing that physical E3 does that a digital one can't do. Is that, you know, we, we, journalists come along, they talk to people, they get hands on, there's wide access to everybody. Um, if publishers and platform holders find they can get the same reach or nearly the same reach by doing loads of Nintendo Directs and a few select media interviews that's that, that's not good news to certain outlets but i actually don't think that i don't think that is going to happen i think the wider business um i think will miss e3 I, um it's not as if anyone has created an e3 to replace it. i find in the games industry when things like get under, get in trouble it's something good comes along to replace it and there's nothing actually that's threatening it at the moment and i think was it 2007 brendan i remember was it 2007 2008 when e3 got really boring um,
1: uh, yeah, in, <laughs> in 2007, they decided, like, well, the show's gotten too big, there's too many people, we're going to move it to Santa Monica. And they had a, a tiny show, it was bu- basically just a strip of hotels um, in Santa Monica where you would just go do all your personal meetings in someone's hotel room, basically. And then there was a conference room where, like, every publisher had a uh, a press conference including activisions hosted by jamie kennedy which is like one of my all-time top surreal car crashes that i've witnessed in this job <laughs> the show floor was in an airplane hangar like 10 15 minutes away it was it was weird um it was really effective i think for for the media's purposes uh we were we were able to do all the meetings and cover everything pretty pretty easily but everyone just kind of hated it because it wasn't Exciting and big and loud, like the E3 that they had gotten used to and grown to hate. So I have to. to. They they scrapped the idea after a year, 2008. They go back to the LACC, but they keep it this small, 5,000 people event. Everyone hated that, just straight up. And then they were like, okay, that's fine. Let's go back to the old way.
2: I would suggest, though. So, here, my experience with E3. You, you all have been doing this for longer than me. Um, I have only been to two E3s. I have been to E3 twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen, and twenty seventeen was the year they opened it up to the public. So, I have, I have no experience with E3 before that. But my impression of E3. Um, has very much been this E3 in transition, right? And I think you're, I mean, you're right, Chris, Yeah, the journalists, we, we all hate E3 right now because of what happened uh, last year with um, dumping all that private information. But I would I would suggest um, that it's kind of not been great for media for the last several years, like even before that, right? Um, because when they opened it up to the public, um, I, the first year, I, so, so like personally, I want to be clear, like if that if that's the decision they want to make, if they want to make a consumer show, like I'm not, I'm not anti that specifically, but I do Think that the very first year, some people, the people in charge just like didn't, were not aware somehow of what opening it up to the public was going to mean. And it was incredibly hard to get work done at that show. It was, it was just absolutely impossible. The lines were so long. It was, it was difficult to even get into the building. Security was lax. It was, it was so hard to get to meetings. There were all these other things. And they have improved, they improved on it somewhat the next year. And I assume they improved on it in 2019. But it's really become, it's very difficult to get work done at that show and to to get to these meetings. And if you can't get meetings, like before my understanding was if you could get into E3, um, you know, it was still kind of a tighter event. And so even if you didn't have appointments necessarily, you still had at least a little bit of freedom to sort of walk around and explore and meet people and talk to people. But now it's so, like I can get more out of E3 just writing news with it as a digital event, right? Because I can sit in my apartment and watch the conferences and just report on them. Uh, but if I'm sitting, you know, at a big showcase, I don't like it's hard to write the news from that. So it's, it's there are different advantages, I think, to it being a digital showcase. Right. And I think that the advantages that were there from being there in person are. Slowly yeah, I mean,
3: sort time. of. I mean, actually, E3 has always been a sh- show for queues. Um, and, um,
2: <laughs> oh, it was so bad in 2017. But in, Chris. In, in
3: 2016, bad. which is when they had Breath of the Wild, they had to, key, had to close the queue after 30 minutes of opening the doors for the whole day. So it, it, it's always been like, I'm, I don't know who these people are. I don't know who doesn't... I mean, I I, I was I worked for a UK retail magazine at the time and I got behind closed doors appointments. So I don't know who these people were that weren't getting them. But... Um, but yeah, no, it's it's sort of true. It's it's never the easiest job place to do, and I think more deals get done at GDC than E three. Although I know deals do get done at E three, particularly amongst bigger companies.
2: You all uh, describe Gamescom as an incredible place to get work done. It I is. Well,
3: it, it's really because Gamescom. Gamescom is good. It's Gamescom has like it's like two shows. It has this wonderful trade area where Nintendo have a booth, but there's it's just an empty booth. It's just a it's just a big beige booth with a Nintendo logo on it, and you go there and it's quiet, and there's and there's little cups of tea, and you play the games, and you have a little quiet chat, and that kind of stuff. And then down the hall is where <laughs> you have do down the company. hall well it's actually germany yeah, <laughs> you don't want it. um and then down the hall it's um down the hall it's like they just shoot sh- 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 you don't you don't go there right it's you just don't go Three hundred thousand germans you don't go there um and um but it is it's amazing to watch from up high um but yeah it's um e3 is like what would happen if those two things got put together um which isn't great but it, i guess it's part of the the you know i guess that's the part of the evolution of it i mean actually I, you know and i think certain my point was with 2007 2008 is that people decided they missed it after slagging it off for a while and i do wonder if that's actually what we might get this time and you know i think although sony nintendo xbox they don't need e3 they can do their conferences anywhere people will tune in but i think if you're square nx or your bethesda or your warner brothers or those sort of people i think you're there big enough to get some attention but i think they get more attention at an event like e3 because everyone else does and um I actually think maybe being forced to withdraw from this year because of because of you know the global pandemic crisis um it kind of allows the show organizers to take a little bit of time to develop their vision for the future and the industry might might realize I don't know they might realize actually quite like it after all
2: but that vision for the future like what is that because here's the other thing before before e3 got canceled we saw we had that we had that whole thing that like the e3 plans that was talking about like influencers and all these other things it's like celebrities and Q- q-tainment q-tainment, q-tainment. <laughs> yeah all this stuff and then jeff keely bows well, out of that, e3 jeff keely who has run the e3 coliseum for like I love I love Je-
3: I love Jeff Keeley, but uh, I don't think it was the biggest blow. But um, he-
2: no, no, but he leaves. <laughs> I I. I, it, okay, it may not have been the biggest blow, but it's still kind of telling, right? Like, what do you what do you have to do to get Jeff Keeley to not run your e3 Coliseum? Like, how how what do you what do you have to mess up? And then I M Eight Bit bows out, which I think is also really interesting because they were brought on in January uh, to be like creative directors or something um, of designing the show, and then they leave in March, and we don't know why either of them left really. And like something about visions not aligning. And it just the the phrase especially on the IM8 bit tweet announcing that they were out of E3, the phrasing of it was just very something didn't go right there and I I really badly wanna know what it is. What is it? What made everybody upset? Why did they leave? What? So we've
0: been, we've been saying this for a few weeks now and um, like anytime the E3 comes up and particularly kind of these departures like yeah like as Chris says like this is a t- time for the ESA to take stock and work out what it wants from E3 and more importantly what the industry wants from E3 so the fact that you know Sony being the most notable dropout like it's two years in a row when they've dropped out and what partly okay it, it, the previous year it was because they didn't have as much to show off but this year like they have a new flipping console coming like they must have had something so The fact that Sony dropped out and clearly didn't line up with what they wanted. The fact that EA runs separate events and same with Microsoft. The fact that Jeff has dropped out. The fact that IM8-bit dropped to them after a couple of months. Like Clearly there is something about the way that E3 is being run or the vision, if we will, um, that people don't like. So ESA now have over a year to work out what it is that people expect, what it is that people want. And whenever you do that kind of conversation, you kind of get a mix of responses. People are like, oh, we want it to be flashier. Oh, we want it to be less flashy. You're gonna have a mix of responses. But the point is they now have time to work out. And I'm hoping that that means a stronger E3
3: 2021. And I think that's key because the thing is, Sony pulled out of E3 pretty much just as E3 had hired their VP of Exposition Management, which is a woman called Vicky Howard. They brought her in to lead sort of E3 but at that point, it was too late. Like, this team is so new. Like, half of the ESA team are not the ones that, mm. um, that, that were responsible for last year's event. I mean, probably even more than half. And you sort of go, well, what, what chance have they actually had to properly put this together? Um, and, you know, it's such an important year to do it. And, you know, I, I do wonder if they'll benefit from a bit more time and a little bit more a chance for someone like Vicky, for instance, to go out there and actually talk with PlayStation and that kind of thing
0: there'll also be the plus side of so this year as, as rebecca said at the beginning of this conversation like this year was going to be an odd year because you know two new next gen consoles on the way but only one of them was going to be at the show and certain elements were going to be missing there you know we weren't we weren't sure if anyone else was um, going to drop out there's no, nothing to say that they would but it was it still wasn't going to be E3 at its full strength And in a new console launch year which was what odd now we're going to get next year hopefully we're going to get yeah, like first year we well, you know less than a year after the um the new consoles launch everyone i say everyone all the early adopters will have their new hardware you know sitting under their tv and they'll want to see what the next big thing is so in theory next year should be even more exciting than this
3: year could yeah. and you know, should i mean it was i think it was the second year that the final Fantasy VII thing happened you remember that and shem 3 and everyone lost their minds and it was also it's worth noting yeah. that Switch never launched at E3. It came, you know, the first E3 Switch appeared at was the E3 after it came out. So,
1: yeah, I mean, mm.
0: yeah. But then that that was a very very odd way to launch a console. So
1: there's a following kind of this month's theme of like how bad is this going to get? Um, I, I'm looking at the the idea of the the ESA and E3 for 2021, and I'm wondering. How how well it's gonna do to actually like how much trouble is it gonna have getting there like because I, I think back to um, e three two thousand seven actually again when they went to Santa Monica and that year because they didn't have the massive show at the LACC uh, they didn't have the income from e three and what they did was they jacked up member fees as a result. And after they jacked up member fees, as a result, they lost a number of pretty big publishers. Just decided like, no, that's we're not we're not going to be involved in this because it's you know too expensive. We just don't want to, whatever. And that was that was the ESA. I think Doug Lowenstein might have still been at the ESA, like the original um, president of the group. Uh, when when they made the decision to go to 2007. And the industry's confidence in the ESA, my impression at the time, was that it was it was just really high. Everyone was on the same page. Everyone was kind of in the same business, you know it was it was basically a console and PC publisher group. and there were no problems with it. Like everyone was satisfied with the job the ESA is doing. I think this time around, there's a lot less satisfaction with the ESA. The the group seems to be in a certain amount of disarray in in recent years. And there's so many different interests among the member companies now because just the, the the political interests of the console makers versus mobile gaming publishers are so split, anyways. Whereas, you know, if if there's some kind of gambling legislation or loot box legislation, you know, a lot of a lot of those core um, core companies might not really be exposed to that all that much. And they might not care that much about the ESA fighting that fight, whereas there are other companies that would be absolutely hobbled by it. So there's there's a lot more division among the ranks. And I think that's partly why we can't get a consensus on what should happen with E3 because all the stakeholders have so many different interests and different ideas as to like, well, how should this evolve? And I think that's, that's led to Sony dropping out. That's, I think that's, that's probably played a part in like EA. Um, and so now we're going back to like that 2007 situation where we're not going to have the income from, from E3 this year. And they want to make that up somehow if they want to keep doing the basic work that they need to, you know, that they have been doing in lobbying for the industry. Do they do they raise membership dues again? Can they raise membership dues when there's this many publishers that probably aren't that thrilled? Do with
3: they them? do they have any cash?
1: I mean, because this is the Yuki Yuki for up in the UK. Where I'm more familiar with
3: the UK trade body. They've got a load of money in the bank for they call it their rainy day fund. I don't know. At the moment, it seems quite wet outside. I don't know when they're planning on spending it. But the, um, but the uh, the, uh, you know, because I think the ESA raising their member fees was in reaction to the fact that they were planning on E3 being a smaller, smaller show going forward, right? And then they changed their minds. Well, I yeah. have to wonder, because they obviously well, they do
1: plan on bringing E3 back next year. So, you know, do they... Have- they raised the fees like they, they, they went from, you know, they, they raised them like 18 times what they were mm. year over year. And then they they dropped him back, but I don't think they dropped him back all the way down to what they were.
2: Do, do we think it is possible that they might have money set aside? Like, so I, I'm thinking That's about awesome. them opening... I know I know it's what you're asking. Um, I, I'm thinking about them opening it to the public um, in 2017 and suddenly you know getting all this money from relatively high admission prices um, from more people that they didn't have coming in before. Do we think that 2017, 2018, and 2019 may have been... Maybe. I mean, I
3: actually... Because 2019 was interesting. I didn't pay close enough attention to it. But they still limited the number of tickets they were selling. And then, but they were still selling them the day before the event. They were still promoting them. And I they would,
2: limited them. They limited them every year. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they increased the amount yeah. from 2017 to 2018 and the
3: 2019. My point was that it didn't seem like they were selling out. Um, and I, you know, and I just wondered they were
2: expensive.
3: I, well, yeah, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. You know, there might be many reasons, but that's probably one of them. The fact that it's a terrible consumer show. Like, you know, oh, I'm going to queue up for ages to yeah. play a game that oh, hang on, it's behind closed doors and it's a presentation. Um, it's. Uh, I, I don't know what You know, you go to PAX, right? But um, it's um, well, whatever. Uh, but it's um, other shows are available. The um, the uh, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 do, I yeah, it maybe. I mean, I guess, but I guess that's to offset the fact that people aren't they weren't they didn't sell as many booths, right? I mean, I guess, I guess it's a it's a troubled event.
0: And as Brendan says, like if they 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 do need to kind of step up that income and, and make up for the lost income this year, if that does come from. Know, increased members' fees, more expensive booze, more expensive consumer tickets, whatever. Like um, again, this year is going to be quite telling. In as we kind of said, like at the beginning, and as, as Rob said in his column, if all these digital events get just as much attention, just as much interest, and ultimately lead to just as many, because E3 has always been about selling the big Christmas games. If everything sells this Christmas as well as expected, and the impact of E3 isn't as noticeable given that the show element wasn't there then yeah come next year higher price tag people are actually no we'll just stick our announcers on 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 twitch and we're done there is an emotional
3: element though like i i I know it sounds quite crass but i think the games industry likes going off to la Mm. i think they like going off and they're having a nice time i think they like um chatting to each other and doing business deals over over a Expensive glass of rum and coke in the in the in the Marriott or whatever the name of that hotel is. I, I, I think I think it likes doing that, and uh, if they can find a reason to justify it, I think they probably will. But um, but I mean, we'll find out, won't we?
2: There's been kind of a conversation that, and I know, I know, again, Twitter is not the games industry, but there has been a conversation I've seen kind of going around on Twitter that where it's, it's gone from, do we need E3 to do we even need one major or one or two like major shows every year? Because they're they're talking about GDC as well, right? Because GDC got canceled and that was, that, I think the short notice on that was hurtful to a lot of people. Um, And so now we don't really have, I mean, we might have Gamescom, I don't know what the situation is there, but we don't really have one big show this year that just everybody's at. And I, I would hesitate to to say that we don't need anything. I think that that's not true. I think that we, I think that small, I mean, I guess PAX, like by comparison is, is a different kind of show. Um, and I like PAX a lot, but I think that having a handful of somewhat smaller events throughout the year and know one thing that we have all agreed on. Okay, this is the thing that we all show up to, and we all do the thing at. Um, I think I think we need that. I think it is, it is helpful to have kind of one central hub that we all sort of set because because you can go, you can kind of pick and choose what you go to throughout the year, right? But if you if you're only going to do one thing, or if you are you know trying to do something very specific, you know that people are going to be at that one thing. I don't know if that one thing necessarily needs to be E3, but I, I feel yeah, like it needs something, right? It's like that in the
3: it's like that in the UK though, right? James would say like the UK doesn't have a big event. All of our events are relatively small. And there's one every month, sometimes three or four a month. It's, like, it's a bit crazy. Um, and we don't have a major event at all. And then we still go to GDC and we go to E3, and then we go to...
2: But you're also smaller, right? Like, I mean, then, like the US no, 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 is just this massive yeah. landmass, and we're all scattered across it. And then the international,
3: But, I'm so, like, but I'm so, well, I'm, I'm, My point was that... Um, we, I actually do see the benefit of having these little events of having all these little little, little specialised yeah. events some of them are similar to the other ones it's quite nice um, and then going yeah, to these yeah. big ones I actually do think the US misses out on it but the US is so big like it's just I don't it's know how you big. do it I mean it's still <laughs> <It's too laughs> it was a problem when we used to run James sure. and I was, when we used to run MCV and we talked about you doing MCV in America or we'd love something like that but MCV was a community magazine And it was like, we could all, um, and you know, putting pictures of each other, having a nice time at events. There's always saying was an event every week, most of the same people went to it. It was a bit like a family, that kind of the industry was in in, in those days anyway. And I thought that sort of doesn't really exist in the US because everyone's spread about such a vast.
2: Yeah. Yeah, if I was in the center of the UK, I could theoretically get to many, many events in different parts of the country at all times. I'm in the center of the United States. I can't get to anything. (laughs) It's like a four hour flight in any direction.
1: It's
0: a lot easier to wrangle a community like that when you're all in the same time zone, not split across however many of the US is. Um, going back to your point, kind of the, the conversations as to whether or not we need these big shows like GDC E3, I think it depends on what need you're talking about. Do we need, if I'm over, dramatically oversimplifying things, do we need E3 as the showcase to announce and sell and promote all the games that are coming? No, because we have digital means for that and there are so many other events. GDC, do we need that for one place where people meet, do deals, share knowledge, etc? I would argue yes, slightly more so than we need E3. There are smaller conferences, but GDC is the the more impactful event on the development side of the industry in terms of when DDC got cancelled the amount of people that were lamenting like the deals that won't get done the jobs that won't get filled the the connections that won't get made like that has a knock-on effect from the very start of a games development or a, a consoles development or a services development or a company's development that's a kind of a very foundational event and that's why it has such a, so much of an impact E3 is very much the we're nearly at the end we're nearly out of the pipeline this is the the big hurrah to show what we've been working on and that is less dependent on a single centralized event, I'd argue. I want to touch on um, a piece that went on Kotaku this week. It was a, a feature about Naughty Dog. It was another com- uh, another conversation about um, Crunch and the pressure on developers. Uh, it's kind of an update rather than anything kind of new, but I think that alone makes it interesting to discuss. Um, Rebecca, you particularly wanted to talk about it. Actually, no, I'll pass to Brendan first because you read through the whole thing.
1: <laughs> you read through an article. I, mean, I did too, so. but
2: I still think you should let Brendan start.
1: Okay, so this is it's it's another. I mean I don't even know if even know if you'd call it an expose at this point. It's a feature about a studio that crunches in the industry. And not to take away from the, the Kotaku article at all, um, but these these stories are kind of formulaic at this point. And I by that I just mean that they have this like the same common threads that we see again and again and again. Uh, and in the Kotaku article, some of it is, is like Naughty Dog uh, hires specifically for workaholics. Naughty Dog president Evan Wells is quoted in the article saying as much. The management doesn't tell people to stay. They rely on the workers policing each other and using peer pressure. Uh, there was a quote in there. You feel obligated to be there later because everyone else is there later. If an animation needed to be put in and you weren't there to help the animator, you're now blocking the animator, and they may give you grief. May not even be spoken; just to look. Man, you totally screwed me last night by not being here at 11 p.m. And like, that's that quote could have been pulled from any of these other studio crunch articles that you see. Basically, um, when they delayed it, they they didn't they didn't delay it to relieve the pressure. It was just an extension of the crunch that the developers were already doing. There's this uh, people will will reference Stockholm syndrome or a cult atmosphere in these kind of articles a lot, and and. It's just sort of
2: Yeah, there was a there was a quote from one of the people that was spoken to. People thinking the extension is somehow to relieve stress or the workload on the team are wrong. The first thing that they wanted to reiterate is that we aren't slowing down the pace.
1: Yeah. And and it's just it's the same story again and again. And like it's it's depressing because you see you see the factors that are contributing to this. You see how the companies are benefiting from creating this culture and this atmosphere and you see how complicit a lot of the workers are in it and then you also see years down the line some of the people who benefited hugely from these setups uh got burned out on it and they start talking about how it wasn't worth it afterwards um amy hennig talked about it uh, a couple of years ago where she said that she worked like eight years or something without anything less than 60 hours a week, so just for the entire time. We've had a couple pieces from uh, the, the old studio director of uh, Rockstar Lincoln, the, the QA studio, Mark Lloyd, who's, who's talked about how he oversaw that studio during, like when it got its notorious reputation for crunch. And he regrets that now. He's seen you know, the the damage that it's done. Um, uh, Ex-Ensemble developer Paul Bettner, just in the 10 years ago this month column that ran this month, uh, he was at GDC 10 years ago doing a GDC rant session talking about how Ensemble had a bunch of workaholics and they crunched too much and it wasn't sustainable, and that's why the studio kind of like was uh, shut down by Microsoft. And then after this came out, uh, the former Naughty Dog animator Jonathan Cooper went on Twitter and had this this really blunt thread about how, like, just, you know, the sort of ridiculous crunch stories that you hear in in a lot of these stories. Uh, he said, uh, for the demo shown last September, the gameplay animators crunched more than I've ever seen and required weeks of recovery afterwards. One good friend of mine was hospitalized at the time due to overwork. He still had over half a year to go. and And it's it kills me because this is these stories are so common and everyone at these studios is so genuinely invested in making the greatest game they can and and coming together as a team to really accomplish something special and when i look at the games that come out of AAA. at these massive studios that that institute this kind of crunch. Like, each individual has so little ownership over the final game, and then the final game so often is disposable because AAA studios, some of these games are lots of fun, but they're not, like, seminal touchstone works because those only come around every once in a while, you know? and and even if they were i don't know if you can really justify the sacrifices people make because they like hey yeah but i we we made zelda breath of the wild and like and i go eh, i i you know it's your your life and your choice but like there there are so many of these games that were they seemed like such a big deal at the time and i'm sure that the people who who worked on them really kind of bought into it but like Games like Mass Effect Three, Grand Theft Auto Four, Uncharted Two through Four, Bioshock Infinite, Metal Gear Solid Four, Zelda Twilight Princess, Batman, Arkham City, like those are just games that, like, when they came out, leading up to them, I I remember the hype for them as as being like, wow, this this is being built up as something something special and something unique in the industry. One of the one of the kind of The points that we'll look at later and say like well there was before this game came out and then there was after this game came out and that's absolute bullshit these (laughs) games are they're good they're fun sure but this industry is 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 always on to the next one i mean maybe less these days because the next one is just the next season of content for your games as a service project but
2: that's a whole other can of worms right there it's
1: it's just <laughs> this stuff is made to be consumed and then after you consume something you you know evacuate it and that's what people that's what people are like throwing their lives the, these prime years of their lives away for just burning their their youth and their health so that we can have a big marketing moment with a big AAA game
2: I think the thing that sort of bothered me about this, it's actually something you said at the very beginning of the whole thing you just said, um, is that this is... Most of this was not new information per se. It was sort of, this is still going on, not this is something that's going on that we had no idea about, right? Because I believe it's Jason Schreier. It was was in his book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, right? It was for one of the Uncharted games. Um, He covered this culture um, then. I think that's right. Um, And then he came back around and did this. And kind of the tone of this whole piece was very, yeah, it's just still happening. Like, we exposed it. We we said, hey, this is the thing that's happening. And everyone just said, yup, it sure is. And we, like, moved on, right? And I, that's very frustrating. There was a moment a couple years ago when these pieces started getting published a little more regularly, these kinds of pieces. And I think we all sort of felt this vibe of oh, well we're we're talking about this now. maybe that means things can improve and i I, I don't I don't want to deny that 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 hasn't had some impact, right? like we have had more people talking openly about crunch culture. We have had a lot of, I feel like a small surge of smaller studios started in the last couple of years, but they were started by industry veterans who have been doing this for a long time, who left studios, you know, that had bad crunch cultures and said, you know what, let's just not do that anymore. And they started their own small studios. And I feel like that has kind of happened over the last couple of years. So we should start seeing the fruit of that maybe here in the next two years or so. Um, So I'm optimistic on that front. Um, But I think like at the large, at the AAA level, I don't know that a lot has changed, or if it has, it's been very, very incremental and very, very showy, right? Like, oh, look, we solved crunch, everybody, by making sure that we're only crunching a little bit, or it's non-mandatory crunch, or, you know, like like little things like that, right, that aren't actually anything. Um, and and so I, it's frustrating because I want to this is one of those things that I wish I could just put, like, a nice little, like, pin on and say, okay, here's what we do next, everybody, to solve crutch. Let's go. We're gonna do it. But, like, that's not how it works. It's not that easy. And I, I, it's frustrating, because I don't know, I don't know that there is a solution, right? Like, working in video games is this thing, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to work, everybody wanted to work in video games when we were kids. Like, of course we did. We wanted to be video game developers. We wanted to make them. Um, And I... that obviously like fades for some people as they grow up, but some people, a lot of people um, want to get into games. There is no shortage of young, fresh talent that has, has the skills and wants to be involved. Um, And so they can just keep on. That was part of the piece. They just keep on bringing in new people, bringing in new people. And when that senior, senior talent or mid-level talent burns out and they leave the industry altogether, they just keep on churning new people in and there's not really a shortage of that. So there's no, there's not really a motivation to stop except that your game's going to get delayed another couple years and everyone's going to have to crunch a little bit harder because all you're seeing your talent left. So yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think, I think the, like any kind of culture change, it's probably going to come pretty slowly unless there's some just drastic cautionary tale that, that happens. Um, for the, for the most part though, like I think I have heard people saying that there's a new generation of developers basically in the last few years, the new developers coming into the industry are are doing it with their eyes open a little bit more and they are pushing back more on on these practices to kind of say like no that's that's not cool we we get to have personal lives away from work as well and that might be the best outcome of all these exposés and stories that you see just as that they it's it's one thing to, to just have this stuff out there because everyone's known about crunch for, you know, forever in the games industry. But to to put it out there in such a way that you are unequivocally, unequivocally <laughs> saying, to put it out there in such a way that you are clearly saying this is wrong and that you are condemning it and, and that it's not acceptable. Like, I think that... That's the shift that, that kind of has happened and will produce uh, progress down the line. Because before it was valorized. It was celebrated, you know? It was these, these developers just, they went to the wall for you, for the gamer. For the love of the game.
2: For the gamers! Yeah,
1: and it's just uh-huh. and that's, that's just a completely unnecessary
0: We're not even past that. Like, it was only a few weeks ago we were talking about Doom Eternal, where, you know, they delayed it by a full six months. And they were saying, yeah, but, you know, and you'd think that, you know, the crunch would lift. But no, we were really passionate. We wanted to make this the best game we possibly could. And this is our best game ever. And we're still getting that now. Like, even after all those cautionary tales that happened within the space of what? I think it was six months, within the six months of um, the Rockstar stuff around Red Dead Redemption 2, the number of major... Big studios that were exposed to like you know the crunch culture there was awful and the self sustaining nature of it like and here we are a year and a half on and like you said these take longer to to these are systemic issues that take longer to fix but here we are a year and a half on and we're still kind of bragging about it not thinking that this is this is a bad thing. I hate the word passion. It's just and
1: I hate it with a burning intense feeling. I can't find the word, but I just really hate the word passion. (laughs) Yeah, it, it's it's a red flag. It's something that that people that people use to to mm. just kind of gloss over all of this.
2: It's marketing speak. Unreasonable,
1: marketing speak. excessive behavior, whether it's passionate fans hurling, you know, the harassment at developers, or or developers mm. just you know practically killing themselves to get a game out the door to to prove that they they're passionate about this. They they care about it so much, and like. That's uh it's harmful. It's it's
2: It's a video game. It's a video game. It's just a video game. Don't it's talk not ninja. worth
0: it. It's not worth it. And the worst thing is like Last of Us Part Two is gonna come out in a couple of months. It is gonna It's gonna be good. Albums. It's gonna be great, it's gonna it's gonna sell, mm-hmm. it's gonna review really well, and that will encourage Last of Us Part Three yep. to engage much the same practices because it works, apparently. Well, on the note of uh, passionate fans hurling abuse at developers... ...Horizon Zero Dawn is
1: coming to... Oh, we are talking about Lego (laughs) Mario.
0: Horizon Zero Dawn is coming to PC, and apparently that's a bad thing. I don't know why. Um... So this is quite anecdotal. I've seen a lot of tweets on um, on, on, on Twitter and stuff, posts on social media about how the betrayal, that word betrayal has definitely been out there. Um, one thread I particularly uh, enjoyed, or rather like wanted to kind of draw awareness to, was um, Sam Sharma, who was a games producer. He previously worked on Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, he shared a, a video of a smashed PC and the really angry tweet like, oh, what a great way to spend my birthday you um, you know Sony and Yosp and Hel- uh, Herman Holst and all this and he replied like what the hell is-? the word for word what the hell is wrong with you people we made a game you enjoyed it now somehow more some more people get to enjoy it and somehow that takes away from your enjoyment Please be kind to yourselves. Your enjoyment of the game has not diminished because some more people get to play it. Now it turned out afterwards that the the video he had retweeted was actually from a parody account. The person changed it to a parody account, you know, changed the bio to say parody account. It was a hoax, but his reply, Sharma's reply saying, "Look people, we made a game, more people get to enjoy it. What's wrong with that?" attracted much the same sort of sentiment like loads of people saying oh my god yeah but this is betrayal you can't do this this is wrong all that all that time i've invested all that time i've been loyal to playstation and i have to agree with sam what the hell is wrong with these people
2: thank god sony is finally pursuing like cross-platform on the pc because within like a year or two this nonsense We'll be done. Mm. Like, we, we are we... No, because, like, we had it. <laughs> like, it kind of happened with oh. Xbox, right? Like, when they started... No? No?
3: No, carry on. Sorry, carry on. I'm not going to be annoying. Go on.
2: Oh, you can be annoying.
1: You've already... Cross that bridge, Chris. <laughs> no,
2: but, but I mean, right, no, I don't mean to say, to I, we obviously we haven't solved shitty people on the internet, okay? No, no, um, that's no, not no, what no, I'm saying. No. Um, but but this is, this is an argument that has been had before, and it turns out that when we start getting games that are cross-platform, people just... You know, move on with their lives, um, and it eventually just becomes like, like ex- Microsoft has made it very like like acceptable across their portfolio. Like we just assume that everything is PC and Xbox across everything they do, and it's f-ing great, and we all love it. Um, and I, I don't,
3: I don't think that's it. what PlayStation's is doing. Um, I think it. Uh, I, i i i I, playstation have very you know it's the big thing that um jim ryan said to us last year was that he wants to correct the fastest transition so last year if you remember um because i remember because i was the one that was being an idiot uh we all got very excited about nintendo and microsoft being friends right and we all going what's going to happen they're going to xbox to put all their games and going to have halo on switch it's going to be incredible um isn't what happened um, you know they put Banjo and Smash Brothers because Banjo's always been a Nintendo character really and,
2: we got Ori and the Blind Forest on Switch and Cup well 10.
3: that was the thing everyone was very excited about that and I got excited about it and I even in the news story pointed out all the other little cool things Microsoft and Nintendo are doing together and it got to the point where Microsoft issued a statement to us saying yeah we're not doing anymore and I was like oh I look stupid now, um, but the 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 reason why, and it, on reflection, it was quite obvious. Ori in the Blind Forest is a Metroidvania game. Metroidvania games are popular on Nintendo platforms. You know what with Metroid, and then and then they had a sequel coming out on Xbox One on PC six months later. For them, it's it's like it's, it had two. It was a it was a marketing pool right? You put Ori on Switch, make a load of money out of it, and then tell all those Switch owners that are loving Ori in the Blind Forest. Hey, you want to play Will of the Wisps? Come to Xbox, come to... And I actually think that's what PlayStation's doing. I think, because Horizon Zero Dawn's three and a half years old, well, it will be by the time it comes out, um, I suspect Gorilla's been making a sequel therefore I suspect we know yeah. we know they're making a
2: sequel okay
3: so Gorilla's making a sequel I, it's been in been development now for over three years I suspect it's going to be a very early if not launch PlayStation 5 title they would have all these PlayStation 4 people that really want to play it and now they're trying to get a load of Steam users as well to enjoy the game and therefore want to upgrade to PlayStation 5 when the new when the new machine comes out I think it's that I mean, there will be more, there'll be Dreams, and there'll be other games coming on PC. But in, today, in today's in today's content world, where you can't just advertise, you know, there was a time when, particularly I remember all the time going, I wish I had a PlayStation so I could play that. I wish I had this service so I could play this. And I'd look at it enviously. I don't look at anything enviously anymore because, I've got so much good stuff on everything I've got, whether it's Netflix or whether it's, whether it's Switch or whatever. There's so much good stuff. I don't have time to play, watch, listen, read, all the stuff I've got anyway, um, that actually to try and convince someone to put down one platform and move to the other is almost impossible, unless you physically go onto that platform, show them what they're missing, and then and then convince them to come across that way, which I, I, I don't think we're gonna start seeing like playstation games coming out on pc in the same way that xbox does xbox is trying to build a subscription service that goes across as many devices as possible and i think playstation's business is still built on selling consoles and therefore they, they they'll still be exclusive i think exclusivity is not going away if anything it's going to become blocks behind subscription services it's going to become worse uh, in a strange way um I think, and I think that's why I think it's weird that PlayStation fans are getting so angry about it. Because I actually think it's about convincing PlayStation PC fans to become PlayStation owners. I think it's, I think it's that.
2: I don't think you're wrong. To be clear, I I do think that <clears throat> I would take like a slightly gentler stance, right? Like I think the fact that. Microsoft is sort of willing to have these conversations with Nintendo and Sony is sort of willing to have these conversations with PC owners. No, I don't think we're going to magically see like every game that would have been a PS5 exclusive also be on PC. Right. But like Sean Layden even said that um, they're going we're going to see some titles lean into a wider install base. Right. And he was specifically talking about PC. I think I think these companies using reaching out to PC or Switch, depending um reaching out reaching out to those platforms as a strategy is something that we might see more of in the coming years especially because with, with cross platform play being such a big thing and with people you know talking more and more about you know having having more than one console and all these other things i think it it makes a exclusivity makes less sense than it did in the past. It doesn't not make sense. It makes less it makes sense less to sense Xbox than it did. I
3: think. I think PlayStation they don't want their hundred million customers playing on other devices. <laughs> you know, they want them to play on their Xbox. Have forty million customers. They want. They want. They want. They they they're happy to put their games wherever. You know, they build that audience base up. Yeah, yeah they've said. They build that audience they've base said. up. And yeah. the reason why PlayStation's so cross. I mean, interestingly, an inter- incident happened. It's a bit, bit bit behind the scenes inside baseball here. An Incident happened where a meeting supply an app supplier of meeting apps came to me about six months ago and said we would love to be your meeting app supplier for all your events and we're like okay interesting show us what you've got and they said yeah what we want to do is we want all the people who sign up to your events to join our meeting app and then with them they're in our meeting app and we can use this meeting app against all your other all the other events that exist not just our events all the other events and i just went why would i I don't want I don't want my customers going to other events, I
1: don't
3: want them coming to our events. You know, from a very business perspective. And suddenly, I got why PlayStation didn't like cross-play. Immediately, it just clicked in my head. Like I did that. It is a it, it's it's. I understand that, and I don't think. I think. I think there comes a time when we're moving into a digital streaming subscription era where consoles become less important. I just don't think we're there with PlayStation at all. I think the the business model for them works right now. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, in time and. Yeah, I, th- I think interesting though, what you're saying about utilizing other platforms to it's actually not new. I mean it's new in terms of it being a direct game on another console, but like Pokemon. Pokemon, if you look at the two phenomenons of Pokemon, they were driven by a cartoon series in the 90s and then a smartphone game. And it created a huge surge in interest of the, of the handheld games. And I know that that's not another, releasing a game on another console. But I think that's what PlayStation are trying to do now. They're trying to sort of widen their audience a little bit in other areas so they can drive people back to PlayStation. I don't think Xbox would care if people come back to Xbox. I think they're happy for them to stay on no, PC. No, they're going to release a, for a
2: console for the people that they know want a console because they will sell them. And they're going to keep yeah. putting their stuff everywhere that people will buy it. And they're going to yeah. be perfectly happy and probably make a lot yeah. of money.
3: Yeah, I'm sure PlayStation might do that eventually. By the way, I'm not saying this wouldn't. This is you know this isn't going to happen. I just, I just, um, I don't think that's their aim. And and it's interesting um, because Xbox and what they're doing with. um, of what they're doing in terms of like letting saying hey buy an xbox one you can play all the xbox series x games when they come out they'd, they'd be probably be a little bit rubbish but you know you can do that um and will actually impact the speed of which people transition i don't know if people will feel the urge to tra- move to a series x just straight away if they if they can play all the games on their current devices playstation you know if jim ryan's position last year is still the one that is now they really want everyone to buy a PlayStation five immediately. They want to get to that 10 million magic, 10 million sales mark as really quickly as possible. So they can, they can just continue where they've been for the last, you know, five years, six years.
2: Yeah. I'm super curious to see, cause we don't, we, we guess, we we can guess based on the context that we have that Sony is going to be pursuing a very similar strategy this generation that they have pursued in the the past Um, compared to the other consoles. You know, Nintendo Switch is doing Nintendo Switch things. Xbox is doing what we have said where they are spreading themselves across a lot of different things. Um, But Sony appears to be, based on the information that we have, doing a very standard we are going to release a console with some exclusives and if you want like a very stand, if you want if you want to buy a good console that's better than the last console with the exclusives that you expect to have on it and all the features that you expect to have on a console that is what we have we are we are doing the the video game thing here um that's kind of what i have been led to expect based on the little tidbits that we've gotten about the ps5 so far and i think it'll be really interesting to see how how much they shift that strategy kind of in um to just the the various like changing environments like the the, the subscription models becoming a thing that more people are using. The the whole thing with they've got their cloud service that everyone's forgotten about. You know all all these other different things. I'm curious as to how how adaptable they want to be, and depending on how adaptable they want to be, how well that works for them. So
3: going back to that interview we did, he actually said the reason why they're doing this big centralized. He <laughs> was so proud of them. Well, it was it's be fair. It's the last time. <laughs> it's the last time anyone's spoken to them. It's uh, so it's like but the um the that centralized that the reason why they're centralizing the teams is for this for the reason you just said right i mean right now the current business model works for playstation they're selling lots of consoles they're selling lots of games they're selling games in boxes they don't why would they put them into a subscription service when they're selling loads of money making loads of money from boxes why would they risk that but the truth is they know that the market is heading in that direction they can see the market is heading in series of directions and they need to be ready to adapt, and I think the reason, and when I, because if you remember, we wrote an opinion piece where I, I wrote an opinion piece where I went, I don't know why they're consolidating their teams and pissing loads of people off, um, upsetting their teams and doing all this, and then, and then that was their answer. Their answer was, you know, this things could change really quickly, and we need, um you know, we need to be able to adapt to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they do adapt or if they're going to stick to their guns and. I wonder if I wonder if Xbox's announcement that games that work on Xbox Series X will work on Xbox One and, and vice versa and that forward compatibility with things like Cyberpunk, whether or not PlayStation will feel obligated to follow that trend because Xbox are doing it because that won't help their mission of converting people to PS5 very quickly. So I'll be um, really interested to see if they follow.
2: It won't help their mission of converting people to PS Five really quickly, but if they didn't do that, then it would probably inadvertently help Xbox. So, like, what do you do? uh, Yeah,
3: Yeah. it's interesting though because we were at the we were at the Eurogamer. Not Eurogamer, the whole Gamer Network editors went out for a meeting yesterday, and a lot of us were discussing whether or not whether or not when Cyberpunk is forward compatible, right? And you can get Cyberpunk on Xbox One, and the feeling was that if you play Cyberpunk on Xbox One or PS Four, particularly if it's not the Pro or X versions, you're going to go. Uh, this is unplayable, and then you see how amazing it looks on the next console. Oh I have to get it on that. I'm gonna to have to get that. I've already got the game, so I'm gonna to have to get the next console. Um, yeah, it's, we're in Uncharted Waters here. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit different, a bit interesting. Um, assuming they all come out, of course.
0: <laughs> main thing I'm wondering now is, following all that that, that entire and in, in interesting and in in depth conversation, is if PlayStation are trying to convert Steam users, why aren't the Steam users getting angry about? It? They're the ones who've been betrayed. You're trying to steal our users. It's Epic Epic Game Store all over again. I don't
2: want to. We we don't want to have to install a whole other storefront. But by golly, we'll buy a console. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: On that note, yeah. I think we have run out of time. We'll be back next Monday with um, all the biggest news stories. Uh, probably more cancellations. I'll be honest. I, I swear to God, like. I've, all I've written today is event cancellations and delays I've been to, uh, yeah I'm trying to, be, to find
2: different ways to the, make that yeah. headline sound not just the same headline over and over but it, I mean it really is everything. I've started canceled. I've started We're just all...
0: dropping coronavirus from the headline because we all know why things have been cancelled like this has been delayed this has been postponed there's no, there's no point telling you why because you already know can we
3: just do you Lego like, Mario I just I like do a Lego Mario special do an entire 45 minutes on do
0: you Lego know what Mario. if next week is all coronavirus stories then next week maybe we'll talk about Lego Mario instead <sighs>
2: We'll do, we'll do like a one-minute opening where we just list everything that's been cancelled and then we talk about Lego Mario. That will
0: basically be it, yes. So to hear that, make sure you subscribe on all podcasting platforms of your choice where you can also find all previous episodes and you can get your daily dose of news, insight and analysis at gamesindustry.biz